chapter 1, book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1, and let's just read from verse 1 this evening. It says, The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hizkiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I'll utterly consume all things from off the face, uh, sorry, from off the land, saith the Lord. I'll consume man and beast. I'll consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come once again around your word. Lord, we pray, Lord, as we continue to study the book of Zephaniah this evening, we pray that you would, you would bless, that you would guide, that you would speak to our hearts and teach us through your word this evening. Lord, just uh, pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit. That, Lord, you would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. That, Lord, it be your words, it would be your thoughts. And that, Lord, you would just undertake now everything we do. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last Sunday evening, of course, we began to look at the book of Zephaniah. And basically, we did a bit of a background to the book, just a, an introduction to sort of get an idea of what the book's about and and who is the writer, this, this man, Zephaniah? And we saw that Zephaniah is a descendant of King Hezekiah, and so therefore he's of the royal line. He's a kinsman of, uh, of sorry, Josiah, who is king at this time. We saw also that his ministry was during the early part of Josiah's reign. So before Josiah um, instituted his great reforms, his moral and religious reforms, before that took place, Zephaniah was on the scene ministering. And so this means that he ministered sometime between 640 BC and 622 BC. And we said also that the theme of his message was the day of the Lord. Now about a, about a century before Zephaniah's prophecy, the northern kingdom had been destroyed by the Assyrians. Okay, so about a, a hundred years has gone by since the Assyrians came down and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and carried them away captive and, of course, you know, dispersed them as well. You know, and the lesson of God's punishment upon the northern kingdom for their sins, for their idolatry, the lesson upon them was lost on the southern kingdom. Now, the southern kingdom didn't learn from their brethren in the north. They didn't learn the lesson. Judah ignored the warning. They ignored the lesson and by this time... They were more corrupt and idolatrous than Samaria had been. Okay, Ezekiel 23 tells us that. We could go there, but we don't have time. But in Ezekiel 23, it talks about the fact that at this time, Jerusalem's worse than Samaria had been. It's in the midst of this wickedness, this idolatry, this apostasy, that God now raises up Zephaniah to minister to the people to warn Judah that a similar fate awaits them unless they turn to the Lord, unless they repent. And God revealed to Zephaniah that judgment was coming in the form of the Babylonian captivity. And he had the, the um, responsibility of warning the people of this day, the day 
of the Lord concerning Judah. Zephaniah now in chapter 1 gives us three graphic uh, pictures or descriptions of the day of the Lord for uh, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. And the first of these that we see this evening is that the day of the Lord is like a devastating flood. The day of the Lord is like a devastating flood. Verse 2, it says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks for the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. As Zephaniah begins his prophecy concerning Judah here by telling us that the day of the Lord is like a devastating flood. He says that the day of the Lord, sorry, in the day of the Lord, the Lord will consume all things. Now, the word that's translated consume here in verse 2 and in verse 3, this word means to sweep away completely. That's what the word means. It means to sweep away completely. It's the picture of total devastation. And it's the devastation that's caused by a great flood washing across the land, sweeping everything in its path. And immediately what comes to mind, of course, is the great worldwide flood in Noah's day. Now we find similar wording in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 7 before Noah's flood. Just go there. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6 and verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Here in verse 7, we see it says, I will destroy man that I have created from the face of the earth. Now God said to Noah, he said, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to wipe the slate clean and start again. And it's very similar wording to what Zephaniah uses. Okay, Zephaniah says he's going to consume, sweep everything away. Here in Genesis, the Lord says he's going to destroy everything from the land. It's a similar idea. It seems that Zephaniah has this in mind as he mentions this consuming of the Lord. He has this in mind, this idea of this great flood sweeping across the land. And the judgment coming would be like a flood. It would wash away everything. In its path, it will consume man and beast from the land of Judah. Now, the immediate reference here, of course, is to the Babylonian captivity, the Babylonian invasion. But, of course, there is a picture of the final day of the Lord as well. There is a picture here of the the great day of the Lord where the Lord will wipe the slate clean. The Lord will consume all from the face of the earth. In verse 3, we're told that not only will man... Will God, sorry, consume or destroy man and beast from the land, but also the stumbling blocks? Okay, it says in the middle of verse 3 there, it says, And the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I'll cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. The stumbling blocks mentioned here are the idols that they struggled with, the idols that Judah was now worshipping. Now, in Zephaniah's day, Idolatry was rife within the land. It was everywhere. It was rampant. You know, the wicked kings that had gone before Josiah had led the people in sin. You know, you had the king Manasseh and then you had Ammon and both of these kings were terribly wicked kings. 
and they led the people away and the, the idols were stumbling blocks unto the people. They were stumbling blocks unto the nation. And so God says he's going to remove the stumbling blocks. In verse 4 and 5, God goes on to declare that he's going to stretch out his hands in judgment and deal with these idols. Verse 4, it says, I will stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of the Chemarims with the priests and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops. And then that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. Now here we see two idols are mentioned. Two idols are mentioned that the Lord is going to deal with at this time. The first of these is Baal, mentioned in verse 4. You know, Baal, I'm sure we've heard the name before. Baal was the Canaanite god, the, the rain or fertility god. And Baal was an idol that the Israelites struggled with right throughout their history. Now, this is one that pops up time and again, doesn't it? Just go quickly with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 and just read from verse 11. says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And here we have in Judges 2, they've just come into the land, they're settled in the land, and straight away they're struggling with Baal. And you know, this really sets the pattern for the nation of Israel, both the north and the south. Both of them struggled with this idol right through their history. They constantly found themselves turned back to this false god. And the second false god mentioned is found in verse 5. At the end there it says, um, and them that swear by Malcolm. Now this false god, Malcolm, is believed to be the same as Milcom or Molech. Okay, there's three different names given to this God. And it's the terrible God of the Ammonites. Just turn to 1 Kings chapter 11. <clears throat> 1 Kings 11 and just read verse 7. It says, Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. There's plenty of other verses we go to to see this God mentioned, because time and again, this is another one that Israel struggled with, the God Molech, this abomination of the Ammonites. You know, the, really, the, the worship of this God was terrible. You know, they, it involved human sacrifice. They would take their children and sacrifice their children unto this false God. You know, we look at that and we think, how could you ever be enticed to follow a God like that? But you know, they lived in a different age, didn't they? A different time. And Israel was enticed time and time again to follow after this false God as well. But not only are these two false gods mentioned, but also we see that they were guilty of worshipping the host of heaven. 
And also they follow the godless example of the idolatrous priests or the Chemarims, as they're called there in verse 4. So Zephaniah says they're guilty here of following after Baal, after Malcolm or Molech, after their Chemarims, these idolatrous priests, and worshipping the hosts of heaven. For all these things, God was going to bring judgment upon them. God was going to deal with the idolatry of the nation. Now, basically, God had had enough of Israel's flirtation with these idols. And so God declares that he's going to stretch forth his hand and deal with it once and for all. He's going to cut off this idol worship out of the land. Now, the biggest problem for Israel was that they thought that they were still faithfully worshipping the Lord. We've seen that right throughout the Minor Prophets, haven't we? But this was their biggest problem. They thought that they were still honouring God. Because what they thought was, you know, if we sacrifice to God and Baal, God's happy. If we sacrifice to God and Molech, God's happy. They thought they could serve both. They failed to see their sin. They failed to see their problem. You know, God is a jealous God. God does, not serve, God does not share sorry, his worship or his glory with anyone. And nor should he, because he's God. He is the Almighty. And you see, the reality was that in turning their backs on God and turning to these false gods, they turned their back on God. Whether they were still making sacrifices to God or not, they had turned their backs on the Lord. Verse 6, it says, And them that are turned back from the Lord... And those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Now this was the end result. Whether they realized it or not, they had turned their backs on God. They were guilty and God was going to judge. And that judgment was coming in the form of the Babylonians. They would sweep across the land. You know, the Babylonian captivity was going to cure the Jews of their idolatry. It was going to do exactly what Zephaniah says. God was going to cut it off. From the land. It was going to cure them of this struggle with false gods. You know, the temple was going to be destroyed and the priesthood would be scattered, and for 70 years they would not be able to worship the Lord in the way they had been commanded. For 70 years they would long to be back in their in their land. For 70 years they would long to worship the Lord at the temple. So much so that when they finally return, their eyes are only on God. They re rebuild the temple and they restore the sacrifice unto him. The second picture we have now is the day of the Lord is like a great sacrifice. The day of the Lord is like a great sacrifice. Read with me from verse 7. It says, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath feared his guests and... It shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold, which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, there shall be an, the noise of a cry from the fish gate and an howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. How ye inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, 
The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. And they, and they shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. <clears throat> the day of the Lord is like a great sacrifice. He's told us that it's like a great flood. It will sweep across the land. It will consume everything. And now he says that it's like a great sacrifice. You know, the Jews were familiar with this idea of a communal sacrifice. You know, the calling together of the people to come to a sacrifice. And so this image is a familiar one to them. But this sacrifice was going to be like none they'd ever experienced before. It's going to be totally different to everything that had gone on before this time. You see, God was going to be the host of this great sacrifice. His guests coming to the sacrifice would be the Babylonians. And the sacrifice was going to be Judah. Judah was the sacrifice. The prophet begins in verse 7 by calling for silence as he contemplates this event that's about to take place. He says in verse 7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. Zephaniah says, you know, silence, be quiet. As he beholds this scene, as he sees what's about to take place. And Zephaniah declares that the day of the Lord is at hand, the sacrifice is ready, and the guests have been called. In other words, it's about to take place. Now the table has been set. The guests are on their way. Time is running out. With verse 8 and 9, Zephaniah describes how even the royal family and the religious leaders are going to be part of this sacrifice. He says in verse 8, And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap on the threshold which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. You know, normally you would expect the royal family, you would expect the religious leaders to be the honoured guests at a sacrifice, wouldn't you? When a sacrifice is called unto the Lord, you would expect them to be the honoured guests. But instead here, Zephaniah says that they are to be offered. They are part of the sacrifice. You see, God is going to punish them as well as the people. Now, they're not going to escape. They were guilty. They had abandoned his word. They had adopted foreign practices, including the wearing of foreign apparel and worshipping foreign gods. It says at the end of verse 8 there, it says, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. Basically what Zephaniah is saying here is, you've become just like the heathen nations. You know, they were dressing like them, they were acting like them, they were worshipping the gods of the heathen nations. Everything about them looked like the heathen. There was no difference. You know, God had called Israel to be separate to be distinct they were his special people and they were supposed to be different you know in Deuteronomy and in the book of the law it talks about their clothes being different how they had a hem sewn around the bottom I think it was blue all about identifying them as God's people and so the fact of the matter is now they were dressing just like the heathen they were different they were no different sorry 
Instead of being distinct, they became like those around them. Now, although King Josiah would institute religious and moral reforms to address these very issues, it wouldn't last long. See, after Josiah died, the people immediately went back to the same old problems. The kings that came after him were weak men, were men who just pandered to the heathen. They made allies with the heathen nations and they became more and more like the heathen nations, which led to their destruction. It led to this great sacrifice taking place. The verse 10 to 13, Zephaniah then describes how the Babylonians, when they come, will enter the city and plunder and destroy it. He says in verse 10, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate, and a howling from the second, and a great crashing from the hills. How, ye inhabitants, inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their leaves that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Now here we see described how the Babylonians will enter the city and plunder and destroy it. Now Zephaniah describes for us here how every area of the city will be affected. The point is, no one's going to escape. It doesn't matter where you live in a city, you're still going to suffer. The judgment's still coming. He tells us that there is the noise of a cry from the fish gate. Basically, this is where the fishermen set up their stalls to sell their fish, okay, the fish markets. He goes on then to declare a howling in the second. Basically, what this is talking about is the second quarter of Jerusalem, and this is where the rich live. This is where they had their big flash houses, where they, you know, the people with money lived. You know, a bit like in Sydney, you've got the waterfront houses, the million-dollar mansions. Okay, this was the expensive part of the city. And he says there's a howling from the second. In other words, they're not going to escape. And then he says in verse 11, he begins with the phrase, he says, How ye inhabitants of Maktesh. Maktesh basically was the market or the business district. This is where the bankers, bankers were. This is where the merchants were located. You see, the point is clear. Every part of the city, every class was going to be affected. It didn't matter what class you were in. It didn't matter whether you were a fisherman, a banker, or a rich man. You were still going to be suffer under the judgment of God. You were still going to be affected by this invasion by the Babylonians. None were going to escape. Now, the Babylonians, they were going to enter the city and strip the city bare. And so thorough would their invasion be that it says in verse 12 that they will carefully search the city with candles. The idea is it doesn't matter where someone hides, they're going to find them. God's going to make sure that everyone is found. Everyone cannot hide in that day. They will be found and everyone will suffer this fate. See, all people would be affected by the Babylonians invading the city. The Babylonians would take everything that they counted precious and leave them with nothing. That's verse 13. It says, Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink 
the wine thereof. Everything was going to be taken away from them. Didn't matter what class you were in, everything was going to be stripped from them. Now the sad reality is that all of this could have been avoided if they had simply taken heed to what happened in the north. If they'd simply listened to God and listened to the prophets, listened to God's holy word, they wouldn't have suffered this fate. No, they'd watch the northern kingdom be destroyed because of this same sin. It was exactly the same problems. Now, they should have learnt the lesson. They should have learnt the lesson from their neighbours and, and been ready for this day. But instead, they were complacent. They were indifferent towards God's word. They ignored the prophets. You see, they thought that God was on their side and they thought God won't do good and God won't do evil. We're safe. But they failed to realise that God is a jealous God. God is a holy God and God must deal with sin. And Judah was going to suffer because of it. The third and final picture here is that the day of the Lord is like a great battle. The day of the Lord is like a great battle. Verse 14, it says, The day of the Lord is near, it is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wastedness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. <clears throat> now, lastly now, <clears throat> Excuse me. Last thing that we see that Zephaniah describes the day of the Lord as a great battle. And the description that's given to us here in these verses is a vivid one. Zephaniah describes for us, if you like, the, the carnage of the battle. In verse 14, he speaks about the bitter cry of the men in the day of the Lord. He says, The day of the Lord is near. It is near. It hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. He says, in that day, even the mighty men will cry out in alarm. The mighty men will cry out bitterly. Those who are captive, those who are taken captive, sorry, will cry out bitterly. Those who are fighting will cry out bitterly. There will be no escape. Verse 15 describes how it's a day of wrath and complete desolation. It says, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. A day of wasteness and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Everything in that day is going to be laid waste. As the Babylonians march across the land, they're going to leave absolute devastation in their wake. It's going to be a day of wrath and desolation. Verse 16 describes the sound of the trumpet and alarm of war. It says a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. Basically, this is the, the armies urging their men onwards, okay? The, the enemy armies, this is, the Babylonians, sounding the, the trumpet, sounding the alarm of war. 
urging their men forward against the fenced cities. Basically, what Zephaniah is seeing here is the siege against the cities of Judah, in particular Jerusalem. As these armies are crying out and seeking to pull down the walls of these cities, pull down the high towers. Verse 17 describes then how they will be overtaken in the battle. It says, And I will bring distress upon men, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. It says the men will be overtaken in the battle. And they'll be overtaken to the point where they're like blind men. They won't know where to turn. They'll be in disarray. The army will be scattered. And they'll be slaughtered in great numbers. It says their blood will be poured out as dust upon the earth. And their bodies will lie in the streets, rotting like dung in the streets. Now, the scene that's given to us here is one of absolute carnage. It's one of great desolation. And this was all coming upon the nation because they refused to submit to God. And Zephaniah, as he's looking at this, he's, he's saying to the people, stop being so stupid, listen to God. Because Zephaniah could see it coming. You see, they refused to listen to the warnings. They refused to turn back to God. And so this day was fast approaching. Judgment was coming. Verse 18 he ends by saying that not even the wealthy will be able to ransom their lives. He says, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Not even the wealthy will be able to ransom their lives in that day. You see, God's wrath was going to be poured out upon all. The fire of God's jealousy will consume everything in the land of Judah. Now, what Zephaniah describes for us here in chapter 1 is really but an illustration of what will happen in the end times. An illustration of what will happen in the great day of the Lord. You know, the events in that day of the Lord at the end of, end of time will be far more terrible than these events described for us here. Now, we only have to read the book of Revelation to see just how bad it will get for the wicked. Just how bad it will get for those who have ignored the warning of Almighty God. God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth and none shall escape. In Revelation chapter 6, it tells us that men will seek to hide from God in that day. Revelation 6, just go there. Revelation 6 and verse 15. Revelation 6, verse 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and even every bondman, and every freedman, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, Revelation 6 describes how people in that day will seek to hide from God. They'll cry out to the mountains, fall upon us, hide us from the wrath of Almighty God. But you know, the reality is 
Unless we place our faith and trust in Christ, there is no place to hide from the wrath of God in that day. Those who have rejected Christ will have no place to hide. And you know, Zephaniah, he knew this to be true concerning the judgment that was coming upon Judah. And that's why he concludes this message to Judah with a plea for the people to repent. Just go back to Zephaniah in chapter 2. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Zephaniah ends this message to Judah by pleading with them. He says, gather together and seek the Lord now, before it's too late, before the day of wrath arrives. He says, gather together and seek him before it's too late. You see, time was running out, and Zephaniah knew there was no hiding from God in that day, unless they repented and turned from their sin. Now in verse 3 of chapter 2, he urges the godly remnant. He says, Seek the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. He urges the godly remnant here, the meek of the earth, to seek the Lord. He urges them to pray and seek the Lord's face at this time of great danger for the nation. The phrase at the end of verse 3 there where it says, It may be, ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Now that phrase there does not imply doubt about the deliverance of the godly. No, yeah, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that seek the Lord because maybe you'll get delivered. Okay? It's not implying doubt about the deliverance of the godly. Rather simply here, Zephaniah is calling upon the godly to prepare their own hearts for this day. And he's calling upon them to pray for the nation. Pray that the nation might repent before it's too late. You see, Zephaniah's prayer was that the prayers of the godly might lead to the nation repenting. Might lead to the nation turning to God and being hid in the day of the Lord's wrath. You know, sadly, this wasn't the case. The people ignored the Lord. They ignored this, this warning from Zephaniah and judgment came. You know, God would have rescued the nation at the last minute. If they had turned to him, God would have rescued the nation. But they would not hearken unto the Lord. You know, God did spare the godly remnant. God spared the godly remnant who stayed true to him. You know, they went into captivity with the rest of the nation, but God spared them through that time. They remained faithful to the Lord for 70 years, and when they came out of captivity, that godly remnant made up the nucleus of the new nation. They were the foundation of the nation when the nation was restored. You know, as Zephaniah delivers this prophecy here, time was fast running out for the nation of Judah. The day of judgment was fast approaching. God had been merciful. God had been long-suffering for years, for generations. And God is giving them one last opportunity, one last chance, yet again, to repent and turn to Him. Sadly, they failed to repent. Judgment came. The day of the Lord arrived for the nation of Judah. 
Now, like Judah, the day of the Lord is fast approaching for this world. The time is running out for mankind to repent and turn to Almighty God for salvation. And beloved, as this day of fast approaches, we must more than ever seek the Lord. Pray for this nation. Pray for the heathen. Pray for the unsaved. Earnestly pray for them to see their need before it is eternally too late for them. Now pray for opportunities and take those opportunities to tell them the truth before it is eternally too late. The day of the Lord is coming. Beloved, we need to, as verse 3 says, seek the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Zephaniah and for this prophecy concerning the nation of Judah. And Lord, we know that Lord, this prophecy has already been fulfilled. The Babylonians came and swept away the nation. The sacrifice was offered, Lord. The battle arrived. Lord, Judah went into captivity. And Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, as we see that great day approaching, the day of your wrath upon this earth. But Lord, you would help us to seek you, to pray for the nation, to pray for the unsaved, Lord, that they too might be hid in the day of your wrath. They might trust in you before it's too late. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here this evening who hasn't trusted in you, that tonight might be the night they place their faith in you before it's eternally too late for them. May you bless now as we close. May we remember these truths as we depart in Jesus' name.